seven, Stan fans happy thursday to you a little bit rainy outside but the sun is shining bright on the baseball world yes preseason or exhibition whatever you want to call them games start today the mets aren't one of the four games on tap but they will be this weekend so get ready for some met baseball the countdown has begun well we were all wondering how robinson cano was going to handle his return to the new york mets he did apologize i uh, did have a press conference but honestly, Met fans, is this a little bit of a double standard we have for Robinson Cano? Uh, he spent 11 minutes Tuesday apologizing, but he never really said what he was apologizing about. Uh, first attempts to explain bad behavior was probably better than Mark McGuire or Pete Rose's and, uh, apology. And it was probably better than and worse than, you know, telling the whole truth. Because he never really came out and said why. Now, Captain Obvious, like me, says, well, we know why he took steroids to improve his game. Uh, but it was a little uneasy for him watching him answer one tough question after another. I don't know if you guys follow the Mets on uh, social media or SNY, but they had the whole press conference on in its entirety. And it was even tough for me to watch. It's crazy that a second baseman in his second language was facing the kind of grilling that most selected officials never stay still for about the way more vital subjects are common good than using legal performances enhancers to play baseball better. But nevertheless, Cano committed a significant violation in the baseball world, and that was testing positive <clears throat> for a performance-enhancing drug. It was his second offense. For that, he was suspended without pay for the entire 2021 season. And I do believe that's penalty enough. Now, he has been, he has given up quite a bit uh, via the two suspensions, his reputation and his $36 million and probably any chance of making the Hall of Fame. And he does return as a player in good standing with the league, so he has paid his dues. Now, assuming he does not violate the drug policy again, and honestly, how can you assume that when he was caught a second time? Sort of like Henry Mejia, remember him? He will receive $48 million over the next two years to finish his 10-year, $240 million pack. And $40 million of that is paid by the New York Metropolitans. Now, by far the most fascinating benefit for Cano is that the Mets have wrapped him up in their blue and orange embrace. Buckshaw Walter is, always, is already talking about Cano as a leader. His teammates are not giving him the cold shoulder, instead staying on script about second chances or third, or maybe even beyond in forgiveness, and everyone else makes mistakes. Even Showalter said, what are we supposed to do? We're not planning to beat him up on him every day. I mean, what's the return there? He's wearing our colors. So that kind of proves my point. Because he's wearing our colors, we let him go scot-free. Yeah, it's a polarizing world we live in. Not only in politics, but in sports. So I guess when it's our guy, it's okay. What colors are you wearing? My guy is right, your guy is wrong. Before we even know the subject. So I guess it's okay for Robbie Cano as long as he's a Met, but if he wasn't, what would we be saying? 
And in reality, the real question should be morality. Is this right or is it wrong? Or really, do we interpret it the way most fans do? What colors is he wearing? Now, we saw this during the worst of the steroid era. Fans hated the infestation of performance enhancers and the artificial inflation and decimation of beloved statistical achievement. Nevertheless, in San Francisco, they cheered and defended Barry Bonds. The same in St. Louis for McGuire. If a Boston fan brought up, what about Giambi? A New York fan countered, but what about Manny? As if your own moral code could vanish because the other guy might be cheating too. Well, I guess we're kind of in the same boat as those fans now. Uh, what do you tell your kids about cheaters like Cano? Uh, then we saw the same fans and their kids wearing A-Rod and Clemens jerseys. Maybe ask the guy in the mirror. Tolerance was absent unless the guy was wearing your colors. Then you can forgive and forget that a steroid user was cheating the game and his fellow players. Now, a lot of these Met players competed against Cano, and he thought nothing of cheating them knowingly. You have to remember that if you're a player. Now, Brandon Nimmo said that Cano called him personally and liked to apologize for missing last year and what he did to the team. Now, Cano is the Mets player up to a union as a joint drug agreement with MLB. Nimmo said for him, that showed the character of my teammate. He wanted to call us individually and apologize. He knows he messed up. I told him I'm a big guy and forgive this and him calling me and telling me that all I needed to know was what he told me and he has his, my forgiveness. And now what is in the past is in the past. We move forward from here and all I care about is the teammate and the player that you are from this point forward. Now the Mets have Adam Adovino who faced Cano in 2020 and said, as a teammate, generally you try to reserve judgment as long as possible, even though you might feel a certain way. You try to dial back that a little bit for the greater good. Yeah, no doubt it's tricky. I don't know if there's a good answer for handling this. But as Showalter noted, you embrace because the Mets and the other opinions are to defy the basic agreement. I mean, the other options are to defy the basic agreement and not pay Cano or destroy the team from within by making him an outcast. So Cano... Spoke to selected teammates by phone the offseason, asked for and received the chance to talk to the whole club on Monday. And on Wednesday, he spoke with reporters for the first time since his suspension. He stuck to the talking points about apologizing and having no excuses and promising to try to make amends to all, fans, teammates, etc. Is generalities? Yes, it was generalities. Few specifics, and now we all go on. Now, I'm sure all of us who are big Met fans go to the games, watch them on TV, Hate the idea of steroid in sports. But what are we doing the first time Cano homers? Well, I think it's an orange and blue thing we cheer. And that's what it means being a fan. So let's just move forward. Not forget, but move forward. Now the other controversial topic is what's going to happen with the New York vaccine mandates and how is it going to affect the Mets? Well, there have been some reactions. Uh, Max Scherzer said he isn't uh, personally affected, but he had a difficult time Wednesday comprehending the idea of a vaccine requirement to play baseball in New York. He said, hopefully logic prevails. He is vaccinated, and with almost a month before they play their first game at City Field, the hope among the Mets is players unvaccinated against COVID-19 won't become an issue. Now, Mayor Eric Adams said during a press conference in Queens on Wednesday that he's searching for a solution. But they added the health of everyone in New York City is his top priority, and any possible easing of COVID regulations would be on his timeline, not the schedules of the Mets or the Yankees. 
Now, Brandon Nimmo, we know, is the Met Union representative. He admitted he was caught off guard when he learned this week of the mandate. But the outfielder said there isn't much concern in the clubhouse. Nimmo said right now we're still three and a half weeks away. So a lot can happen. When we get to that time, we can address it. Right now, we're just going to focus on baseball. We'll see where all that stuff lands. If it comes time, we'll address that stuff. On Tuesday, the Post reported only about 55% of Met players were vaccinated at one point last season. Nimmo did not dispute that figure. Overall, the Mets had a 77% vaccination rate last season, but that figure included coaches and staff. Now, the Post asked seven Mets players Wednesday whether or not they were vaccinated. From that group, three players, Scherzer, McNeil, and Robinson Cano, said they were vaccinated. Four others, Nimmo, Alonzo, Dominic Smith, and J.D. Davis, declined to answer. So you don't want to read between the lines, but usually when you don't answer affirmatively, you may not be vaccinated. So Nimmo said, I don't know where we are now. We have many new guys. I do know one thing. A mandate would affect baseball a lot more than it did basketball. So we'll see where we're at. Alonzo isn't concerned the Mets will be affected. He said, I am sure that everything is going to get taken care of. It's one of those things we have to navigate through. It's a repercussion of the pandemic. It's a complicated thing. The mandate has prevented net star Kyrie Irving from playing in home games this season. And Alonzo said he was unaware that Irving was prohibited from playing home games. And he said that, I guess that's his prerogative, meaning Kyrie Irving. Now, if the mandate stands, ML players could be faced with lost pay and lost service time during games during games that do not play, four games they do not play. Sorry, a little tongue-tied here. And uh, like I said, Nimmo saying it's completely new. He thought he had everything hashed out in the collective bargaining agreement negotiations. And to him, this is something totally out of left field. He mentioned that the reporters have to wear face coverings in the clubhouse. Players and teammates or employees uh, of the team are exempt from the edict. As an example of the inconsistencies occurring throughout the COVID fight, Nimmo said he argued against the face coverings for reporters in the CBA negotiations. He said, I think there's a lot of things that need to get hashed out and rethought. Just because we did something one way for a while doesn't mean it's always the best decision. Saying that's the way we always did it, it's not good enough. Things change, information change. So all I can say is stay tuned. This is a developing story, and we're going to see what's going to happen as far as the Mets and this whole policy. And you know what was really cool yesterday? SNY uh, on the Internet broadcast the entire simulation in a Met game, and we were all tuned in to watch Max Scherzer. Yeah, his simulated game drew eyeballs. When was the last time you watched a simulated game? Uh, Scherzer threw 59 pitches over four innings and two home runs allowed. But it's still good seeing him out there. And believe it or not, Dominic Smith, who couldn't hit Scherzer at all before he became a Met, blasted two of those homers, and he wasn't thumping his chest afterward in the Met clubhouse. Smith even said, I don't know what you're talking about. They don't count, so they don't matter. Now, for Scherzer, the appearance appeared and served as the perfect precursor to, precursor to the Grateful League debut with the Mets. The right-hander arrived in November on a three-year contract worth $140 million, is scheduled to get the ball early next week for the first time this spring in front of fans. David Peterson, Tyler McGill, Jordan Yamamoto also saw action for the Mets in the simulated game. It felt good, Scherzer said. I've been throwing sim games and YBPs from behind the screen, but when you actually get rid of the screen and get an umpire back there, it feels a little bit more real. The intensity goes up a little bit. Now I want fans. I want people yelling at me and telling me how much I suck. I can't wait. Yeah, those are words us Met fans want to hear.
Now, how about Kyle Schwarber? Oy, oy, oy. We thought we got rid of him when he, became, he went to Boston. But now he's with the Phillies instead in the Nationals. He agreed to a four-year deal worth $79 million. And that left the Mets with another powerful lefty bat they have to counteract within the NL East. Now, Showalter was asked if Schwarber's return to the division should underscore the Mets' need for a proven left-handed reliever. Showalter said it's a good point, but Billy has been on top of that from the start. Uh, they're going to look for him within for the lefty and what we have here and try not to overlook an orchid while searching for a rose. Now, Chase and Shreves agreed to a minor league deal with the club Wednesday, according to a source. Veteran joins a lefty bullpen crew that includes Alex Cordillo and Mike Montgomery. And for those Met fans who are wondering what happened to those postponed games start the season, well, the revised schedule was released yesterday. The first series of the season that was postponed by the lockout against the Nationals has been rescheduled for October 3rd through 5th at City Field. In addition, the Mets will make up two games against the Braves with doubleheaders on May 3rd and August 6th at City Field. And one other scheduling note, the Mets will start Sunday afternoon home games at 1.40. Not their choice. It's to accommodate MLB's national media rights requirements. Happy Thursday to you. A little bit. Okay, now it's time to celebrate some Met birthdays. Who is ready? We have two today that we want to know. One is Vance Wilson is celebrating a birthday, and he was born in 1973. And the other is Juan Lagares, born this date in 1989. We do have some Met transactions to talk about. On this date, the Mets signed Jerry Martin of the Kansas City Royals in 1984. Good defensive player. On this date in 1996, the Mets traded Pete Walker and Willie Arroyo to the Padres for Roberto Pettigini and Scott Adair. And on this date in 2000, the Mets signed free agent Timo Perez. Remember game one of the 2000 World Series? If you do, you remember Timo Perez. On this date in 2005, the Mets released Joe McEwing, fan favorite and super sub, a man who gave it all on the field. And on this date in 2010, the Indians claimed Anderson Hernandez of the Mets on waivers, and he became an Indian. And that's all for the transactions for today. Now let's talk about Vance Wilson, shall we? Wilson finally began to play regularly with the Mets in late 2001. He assumed the role of backup catcher behind perennial NL All-Star Mike Piazza. Yes, Mike Piazza, the man whose number is retired at City Field. Now, Vance was used as a pinch hitter and occasional spot starter. Wilson's greatest value to the Mets was a defensive replacement who could prevent runners from stealing bases. Remember, that was something Mike Piazza did not handle well. From 2001 to 2004, Wilson ranked amongst the top three National League catchers for lowest stolen base percentage. Now, the reserve catcher appeared in a career-high 96 games for the Mets in 2003, notching career highs of eight homers and 39 RBIs. However, Wilson was hampered by injuries toward the end of the 2004 season, and the Mets dealt him to the Tigers on January 5, 2005, for second baseman Anderson Hernandez, as we noted before. Now let's talk about the former Secretary of Defense for the Mets out in center field, Juan Lagares. Lagares was signed by the Mets as a non-drafted free agent on May 5, 2006. He was moved from shortstop to the outfield in 2009. Yep, Juan was a shortstop at one time. He was assigned to the DSL Mets in 2006, where in 57 games, 
He hit 255, 339, 412, with 18 extra base hits, 33 ribbies, and 12 stolen bases. In 2007, he was promoted to single-A Savannah, where in 83 games he hit 210, 262, 317, with 20 extra base hits, 16 RBIs, and 11 stolen bases. Now, after an arm issue occurred, his 2008 debut with Savannah happened in late June. After 46 games with Savannah, Lagares was demoted to L.A. Brooklyn in the middle of August. In 65 total games, he had 253, 284, 352, with three homers and 24 ribbies. Now, in 2009, Lagares began the season with Savannah, but a wrist injury suffered in late May and in most of his season. He did come back in September after a rehab stint with the GCL Mets. In 53 total games, he hit 266, 297, 323 with 14 ribbies and 10 stolen bases. Now, after the 2009 season, he played for Aguilas Ciabianas, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, of the Dominican Professional Baseball League. In 2010, Regards began the season with Savannah, and after hitting 300, 318, 459 with 5 homers and 39 ribbies and 18 stolen bases in 67 games, he was promoted to high A St. Louis, but was limited to 33 games thereafter. A fractured ankle ended his season on July 28th. In 2011, Lagaris was a breakout season for. He began with St. Louis, where he tore it up before being promoted to Double A Binghamton. In 120 games total, he hit 349, 383, 500, with nine homers, 71 rubies, and 15 stolen bases. He really did come alive in Double A in 2011. He was added to the 40-man roster on November 18, 2011. And after the 2011 season, again, he did play for uh, Sibianis of the Dominican League. In 2012, he played with Binghamton, where in 130 games he had 283, 334, 389, with four homers, 48 ribbies, and 21 stolen bases. And again, after the season, he played in the Dominican. In 2013... He began the season with AAA Las Vegas as their center fielder where he played in 17 games before getting called to New York. And yes, on April 23rd, that was the big day for Juan. He was called up to the Mets to replace Kirk Neuenheis. Remember him of the three-homer game? He was called up by the Mets, and uh, Kirk was sent down to the Vegas 51s. Remember when Vegas was our farm club? That never made sense. They were about 3,000 miles away. It was always a transportation problem to call up someone quickly. He didn't make his debut on the same day against the Dodgers, coming in as part of a double switch in the fifth inning. In the bottom of the seventh, he recorded his first hit, a single off pick, Paco Rodriguez. Lagares hit his first major league home run on May 19th against Travis Wood against the Cubs at Wrigley Field. And Juan really progressed well because for the week of July 15, 21st to the 21st of 2013, he won the NL Player of the Week Award. And that week, get this, he hit 700 with a home run and five ribbies. Now, in 21 games for the Mets, he had 242, 281, 352 with four homers and 34 ribbies. And now we all know he was known for his defense, and he had a 983 fielding percentage as well as leading the MLB in assists at center field. Yes, Juan did have a cannon. I guess it took the National Leaguers a little bit longer to experience the fact that he could throw the ball like he did if 14 runners were nailed. And he led the major leagues in uh, defensive runs scored with 26. 
and in range factor at center field with a 2.98. On August 20th, McGarvis ranked second among center fielders in defensive run saves with 20, behind Carlos Gomez with 27. In September, he was named MLB's Best Defender of the Month of August. He led the majors with 12 defensive run saves, and the National League and ranked second in majors with outfield assists with 12. He was amazing. I, he was just a highlight film defensively, and he got better and better as the season went along, if you recall. It was fun just watching him play defense. He set the Met franchise record with 15 outfield assists. His 3.5 defensive war was second only to Brewer outfielder Carlos Gomez, who had a 4.6 among National League center fielders. Now, he was named as the Mets defensive player of the year during uh, the Wilson Award ceremonies. He finished the 2013 season appearing on 121 games with a batting average of 242 and 392 at-bats in 421 plate appearances while compiling 95 hits, 34 are ribbies, 4 homers, 20 walks, 35 runs scored, and striking out 96 times. Now, after 2013, again, he played in the Dominican League, and he won the Rookie of the Year Award. He had 342 with one homer, 16 ribbies, 5 stolen bases, and 7 walks, and 114 at-bats. In 2014, from the get-go, he was a Met. He made the Met roster for opening day on August 14th. He left due to an injury during a game against the Diamondbacks. He grabbed his hamstring after beating out a double play in the seventh inning. And we know how hamstrings are. You never want to see a player go down with a hamstring. And the next day, he was placed on the 15-day disabled list with a pulled right hamstring. At the time, he was batting 314 with a 345 OBP with five extra base hits and seven rubies in 13 games. Now, he was recalled from rehabbing with the 51s on May 1st. Mid-May, Met fans on Social media sites such as Twitter and Facebook became frustrated with Terry Collins sitting with Garris on the bench since coming off the DL. On May 16th, he was benched for the fourth time in five games. And uh, Met fans, if you recall this, and you may have been one of them, they started a campaign called Free Regards to express their anger over him being benched. Although Regards had been struggling since coming back from the DL, his defensive capability and clutch hitting was touted as being reason enough for him to be put in the lineup. On June 2nd, unfortunately, he was placed again on the DL with a right intercoastal strain. And on June 26th, Wilmer Flores was sent down to the 51s to make room for Agaris coming off the DL. On September 23rd, unfortunately, he was shut down for the rest of the season again with a sprained elbow. So it was a year of injury for Juan. At the end of the season, he improved his hitting over the past season, increasing his average by nearly 40 points from 242 to 281. He finished playing in 160 games with a batting average of 281, not too shabby, in 416 at-bats and 452 plate appearances, while completing uh, the season with 117 hits, 47 ribbies, 4 homers, 20 walks, 46 runs scored, and striking out 86 times. And the good news, we all know about his defense. It was announced on November 4th at the end of the season that he had won his first Gold Glove Award. He was the third outfielder in franchise history to win a Gold Glove Award. Who were the other two? I'm glad you're asking, fans. I love to see when you're asking questions like this. The other two were Tommy Agee in 1970 and Carlos Beltran in 2006, 7, and 8. 
and he won the Fielding Bible Award as statistically being the best defensive center in the national center fielder in the National League. Now, on April second, two thousand fifteen, the Mets rewarded Juan with a four-year extension worth $23 million, which would run through 2019 and start in 2016. They had an option for a $9.5 million option with a $500,000 buyout in 2020. He made the team out of spring training as a starting center fielder. Now, on July 31st, the Mets traded for Ioannis Cespedes, which made us bigger Met fans than the rest of us who would play center field regularly throughout the season. Now, Agaris will move to backup role and became a defensive substitution late in the game. He finished the 2015 season in 143 games, batting 259, 289, 358, and 441 at-bats, while compiling 114 hits, 41 ribbies, 6 homers, 16 walks, 47 runs scored, and striking out 87 times. And the NLDS against the Dodgers, he did quite well. He hit 429 with, in four games while compiling three hits, two doubles, a walk, and scoring three runs. And he continued his stroke against the Cubs in the NLCS when he hit 333 in four games with two hits and two runs scored, a stolen base, while striking out two times. In the World Series, he continued his 300 magic, batting 300. He was in all five games with three hits, two runs scored, a stolen base, and striking out one time. And again, in the offseason, he played in the Dominican. 2016, he again made the Met opening day roster, serving as a backup outfielder, pinch hitter, and defensive substitution. The Mets placed Ligaris on the Sabre list with a sprained left thumb while making a diving catch on June 4th. He went on the 15-day disabled list from July 29th through September 16th for his sprained left thumb and then had surgery on August 1st to repair a torn ligament in his thumb. So, yeah, unfortunately, Met fans, the injury bug got Juan again. And uh, he never really had a fully healthy season. That's unfortunate. So I always thought with the proper batting coaching, he could have been a 300 hitter and really hit like 20 homers a year. He had the power. He had the stroke, but he never fine-tuned his swing to be a home run hitter. And then again in 2017, he battled injuries again but contributed to the Mets with 58 starts and 252 at-bats. He hit 250, 296, 365 for the year and participated in a deep and injury-riddled outfield in 2017. Yeah, 2017 was a rough season, as we all recall, for the Mets and injuries. And the wash, rinse, repeat, because in 2018, Lagares tore the planter plate in his toe while attempting to catch a fly ball, and that required surgery. He missed the remainder of the 2018 season due to this. And again, he tried to uh, fine-tune his skills by playing in the Dominican in the offseason. He began. He became a free agent November 1st, 2019. The Mets declined his contract for the 2020 season. He played winter ball again. And then he signed a minor league deal with the Padres on February 10, 2020. Now, Juan did come back, though. On July 22, 2020, he signed a minor league deal with the Mets organization. Didn't work out for him with the Padres. On August 25, 2020, he was selected to the active roster. Unfortunately, he was designated for assignment on August 28th. He was outrighted on August 30th, but elected free agent. After the 2020 season, he played again in the Dominican Re- Baseball Week, and he also played for the Dominican Republic. 
in the 2021 season. Now, he did sign a minor league contract with the Angels before uh, the preseason in 2021, and that included an invitation to spring training, and he was selected to the 40-man roster of the Dodgers. But Juan Lagares, one of the best defensive players in Met history, and I'll just leave it at that. Now it's time for the Met Trivia and Jeopardy questions of the day. First, the trivia question. Only three Mets have had four games where they stole four bases. Who are they? The correct answers are David Wright, who did it May 14, 2009, versus the Giants. Roger Cedeno, who did it May 14, 1999, versus the Phillies. And Vince Coleman did it twice, 623-93, versus Montreal. And... 626-92 versus St. Louis. Congrats to Dave Phillips. Dave Phillip, I should say. Uh, I just gave you the friggin' answers. Oh, boy. Oh, well. Congratulations, Dave Phillip, on being the first to submit the correct answers. We'll be back with a fresh one tomorrow, folks. My apologies on that one. So you all got it right, right? Yeah. Well, here's today's Jeopardy. We'll be back at the end of the podcast with the answers for this one. November 28, 2007, he was sent from Tampa to the Mets for cash considerations. 2008 started the season with the Mets AAA affiliate, the New Orleans Zephyrs. He was called up to the Mets on August 9, 2008 to start in place of injured starting pitcher John Mayne. We'll be back at the end of the podcast with today's Mets Final Jeopardy. Now let's talk about the greatest New York Mets baseball group there is. It's on Facebook, and it's called New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. Join it if you're a Facebook member. You'll be glad you did. And this podcast is a companion to that broadcast, so subscribe to it. We're going to be up every day during the season covering the Mets from A to Z. You won't want to miss it. And again, thank you for your patronage. And if you ever want to reach out to me with any comments or suggestions or questions, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. Now, what's going on in the group? Well, we stated this fact for you guys. Did you know that in 1969, the Mets actively sought to obtain the 28-year-old Brooklyn-born backstop Joe Torre, but declined the trade when Atlanta GM Paul Richard asked for Amos Otis and Nolan Ryan in return. Then we looked back to two years ago when everything was a tizzy. And uh, Newsday even reported that opening day may now be pushed back to June. That broke all our hearts, didn't it, baseball fans and Met fans in particular? Uh, Heather Gross just posted that Travis Jankowski has been signed to a minor league deal for the Mets. Uh, Mike Freed always keeps us abreast of what's going on in the baseball world. He was the first to report in a group that Chris Bryant got $182 million for seven years. I'm still shaking my head over that one. Why the Rockies? Why are they spending that much money on him? Hey. Also, it was noted that the Mets are moving Sunday home games. You sleep a little bit later on Sunday, a couple more winks, to 140 to accommodate MLB's national media rights. And the Mets announced their revised schedule. The three games against Washington that were supposed to start the season at home will now be at the back end of the season on our weeknight games. And Atlanta, the two games postponed with Atlanta will be part of uh, doubleheaders in one in May and one in August. 
Uh, we noted it's happy St. Patty's Day and showed a picture Tonight of it is Murphy batting the polar bear. Pete Alonso, good to see you, Pete. Hey, pleasure. Pleasure to be here. I, I know. Pete Alonso. Uh, always good stuff, by the way. Nice picture of John Milner fielding the throw at first base, the hammer. Remember the hammer? And then, of course, Mike Freed broke the news about uh, Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman. Yep, he won't be in our division anymore, but he's still going to be a thorn with us. Maybe come postseason time with the Dodgers. That's going to be interesting if that ever does happen. We gave the lines on the sim game. Scherzer, Peterson, McGill, and Yamamoto all pitched. Scherzer, four innings, three hits, three earned runs, one walk, three Ks. He faced one extra batter and stretched out to around 60 pitches. David Peterson pitched two innings, one walk, two Ks. Tyler McGill, three innings, one hit, one K. And Jordan Yamamoto, two hits, one, two innings pitch, I should say, one hit and four Ks. And we had a rare photo of Brandon Nimmo actually not smiling. And here's news that made my day. The Mets minor league affiliates will now ref return to their original names. Triple A Syracuse will now be in the International League. Yes, it's not like the Triple A East anymore and all that crap. It'll be Triple A Syracuse in the International League, Double A Binghamton in the Eastern League, and Low A St. Lucie will be in the Florida State League. But I can't figure this one out. High A Brooklyn joins the South Atlantic League. Hmm. Must be a rhyme or reason to that one. Uh, but again, all good stuff. We mentioned that Cano apologized. Uh, and that's good to see. Let's just hope he keeps his end of the bargain. And the Mets closing on a deal for Chase and Shreve. He's one of those lefties we need. So uh, all good stuff. And if you're not a member of the group, please do join. We'd be glad to have you. And since I was a knucklehead and already gave the answer to the trivia question... All we have left is the Jeopardy. Again, two clues. On November 28, 2007, he was sent from Tampa Bay to the Mets for cash considerations. 2008, he started the season with the Mets AAA affiliate, the New Orleans Zephyrs, and he was called up to the Mets on August 9, 2008 to start in place of injured starting pitcher John Main. The correct response to yesterday's Met final Jeopardy is, who is Brian Stokes? And congrats to our Jeopardy expert, Kareem Haywood, on being the first to submit the correct response. Well, that's going to wrap it up for another podcast. And again, thank you all for listening. It means the world to me. We'll be back tomorrow to talk even more Mets. And the clock is ticking to our first preseason game. Can't wait. Check in tomorrow. We'll be back with another podcast. And as always, enjoy the day. It's a happy Thursday, Thirsty Thursday. How appropriate today for St. Patrick's Day. No matter what you do, be safe. And we'll talk again tomorrow. Let's go Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies. Bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life. Because the Mets are really sucking the ball. Jumping in their seats, where do they go? To meet the Mets! All the fans!